Zone 3 Podcast. I am Robert. He yes. is... Uh, and uh, today we are joined by none other than Dr. Fahrenholtz, who's a physicist that we actually work with yes. uh, at our facility. So he is a physicist by day and podcast fan by night, right? Our I've, podcast. I've been a watcher. <laughs> and, and I got a big recommendation. Everyone who even knows an MR physicist, you need, and you're an MRI tech, make sure you make them your best friend. Because, man, having an MR physicist that you can just reach out to and ask questions is invaluable. And I'll stop texting in the middle of the night. I'm sorry. <laughs> hate that. <laughs> you up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if you would just kind of introduce yourself. Today, first of all, we're discussing MRI physics, basic physics. Hopefully it appeals to some of those uh, new students or and just maybe patients that are curious. We get questions asked all the time by patients. Right. So introduce yourself, if you would. Yeah, so I'm Samuel J. Fahrenholtz and PhD, work with MRI and also other modalities. Um, what else do you want to know right now? <laughs> when you're at the grocery store, do you introduce yourself as that, Samuel? No, <laughs> usually <PhD>. like Sam. <laughs> Just handle your driver's license. <laughs> right. If I was PhD, I would be saying it everywhere, but very cool. Uh, I'm very excited cool. to have you here today. Yes. Um, like we said earlier, a lot of people have a lot of questions about this, and we can dumb it down, and we can get really involved, but so what we want to do is somewhere in the middle. Um, so feel free to kind of just take it anywhere or start it anywhere you'd I like. Got, I got a big question. And I know that uh, a lot of MRI techs kind of know how to answer this question. We get it from patients. But the hard part is how, where do you find the sweet spot in the details, right? So we can start off right off the back with where's all that noise coming from? Like, why is MRI so loud? It is loud. Right? It is loud. Uh, well, so um, you tough. got a lot of different gradients going. So the gradients are part of the phase and frequency encoding, right. also slice encoding. Um, and when those are running, there's current, like huge currents, by the way, running through coils. And whenever, this goes back to like sort of basic electromagnet physics, uh, whenever you have a current loop with changing currents, it'll right. change the magnetic field. And if you have a neighboring coil, it's experiencing those changes. And it'll start a sympathetic or like inducted. Inducted is like the word. Yeah. Inducted. Is that Ampere's law by chance? Oh boy. Yeah. Nice. That's a rhetorical question. I know. I'm just trying to sound smart. Yeah. <laughs> it's only because I researched it last night. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it sounds like what, that's, that's exactly what you're describing. Mm -hmm. um, and that phenomenon is causing pushing and pulling on all of those elements. Uh, and it that's why it knocks at that rhythm the clank, 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 clank of whatever is firing oh. in there. And that's why it changes. Why it changes it depending on pulse sequence and, right. and all that. Okay, because like the way I'm just, I always describe it to patients, and please feel free to tell me I'm an idiot, but I tell people it's that we have... Uh, Hamsters. Hamsters. <laughs> Little people, come on. <laughs> um, but basically it's just like current changing directions in yeah. a coiled up, uh, I mean, in coils, I guess. Right. right. That, the quickest way is pretty much what you said is currents are changing in these coils and they push and pull. They're clashing and vibrating on each other. And they're right? huge. Too. Yeah, and these are the, usually the gradient coils. These are gradient coils. Yeah, right. okay. Um, right. Well, I guess that kind of... Ampere's law also helps to kind of describe how the production of ma magnetic field is even... Uh, Happening. Yeah. yeah. So maybe kind of just get into that if you would. Right. Right. So if you had a constant current of like one amp in this coil or whatever, you, then there's within... Uh, if you've seen like a picture of a barb magnet and it's got all those 
iron filings around it. It's yeah. that bloom of magnetism. Same thing's happening in that electromagnet. So electromagnet just means a magnet that's formed through the current or like a electro current like. versus a permanent magnet is like what I just described where that bar magnet has the pattern. Um, while that current is running, it supports a magnetic field. And in an MRI, the superconducting part is the, what we would call the static field or the B0. Zero. Yeah, 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 B0. Yeah. Um, the that, main magnet. The main magnet, all yeah. of these words are what we're talking about with that. It just always has a static magnetic field in there. And the gradients then will just perturb it a little bit. So if you ran like in the superior inferior direction, so down the length of the tube, um, you're changing that magnetic field. A lot of diagrams will show it as a tip. So you have like the higher magnetic side and the lower strength side. Right. And that's because the net magnetic field is like the addition of the static, the B0, plus whatever the gradient is doing. Ah. Um, nice. So I guess just in the construction of the magnet itself, what would the difference be between a 1.5, a 3T? Um, uh, more more net current in the superconducting coil. So one has half as much net. So is current. it just like less coils or? or you know, actually ask a different engineer, like a, an engineer, but they, they would have more turns or less turns. So talk about NT in terms of like, the N is the number and T is like the number of loops. Um, if you have more NT, you have a bigger, stronger, stronger yeah. magnet. Yeah. Or if you increase the current, which is I in in physics abbreviations, in engineering abbreviations, I. Nice. So more yeah. more current, more turns. Okay. And the the strength of magnets that we're talking about, just kind of help paint the pictures. We're talking about like well, typically like a one five or a three T T right. standing for Tesla. For every Tesla is ten thousand Gauss. Yeah. Um. A, a 3T Tesla would be 30,000 Gauss. Typically, the refrigerator magnet that you have at home is about a 50 Gauss. Um, the way that I describe it to patients, and I've used this before on the podcast, but uh, what and this, I stole it from another tech, but basically, I'll explain this to a patient. I'm like, well, you know you have the magnets that you stick to refrigerator at home. I'm like, well, this magnet, you can stick a refrigerator to. Yeah. Dang. And that no, kind of right. paints the picture. Right. Um, so in addition to the magnetic field, um, how, what else do we use to create an image? The RF excitation is an, the other major component of that. And right. RF is where you get your flip angles or you kick off a pulse sequence with like a 90 degree flip angle. Right. That's activated by the radio frequency, the RF. And you use the word excitation. What are you exciting? Like there's a bunch of names for it, but we call them protons. Is We, we talk about we're exciting the protons. Right. What are the protons? They are... Um, in this little diagram of here's is water in my mm -hmm. hand, oxygen, you got two hydrogens. And these hydrogens are the protons. Why do we call them protons? Because a hydrogen nucleus is simply only a proton. One, one proton. Yeah. Yeah. What is it that you choose to excite the hydrogen? Because there's a lot of it in human bodies and you don't need to inject it. Now we're talking about what in the profession we call multinuclear MRI. Oh, That's where you t talk about like sodium MRI. Like if if you, I think it's sodium 23, um, I'm not not like super up on my nu multinuclear stuff, but sodium would be an example of something you can image with MRI or fluorine would be another example. But some of these 
other nuclei that are not just protons, um, you have to inject them, or they're very low concentrations physiologically versus mm. hydrogen. The other thing nice about hydrogen is it actually produces a very high signal uh, versus like if you had one hydrogen versus one of these other types of, of nuclei that you can image, the amount of signal you get from that proton is actually pretty, pretty good. How about image acquisition, right? And so yeah. you mentioned hydrogen excitation. You mentioned the use of a magnetic field, the use of RF waves. Right. Well, when you use all these, how exactly is that converted into an image? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, what I was meant. Yeah, that. Well, <laughs> so um, unlike most modalities, so like talk just two seconds about radiography. It's like a digital photograph, except it's x-rays. Right. Or CT is the same thing where you have, you have a detector bank and you have an x-ray tube shooting a fan beam of x-rays at it. And as that spins, there's um, the most basic recon is called filtered back projection, FBP. And it's a math way of adding up these different pictures into a tomographic image. A tomographic image is a three-dimensional picture. MRI does uh, tomographic images, but it's not with, it's done in case space. Like that's, right. that's kind of like this big like mental leap versus these other modalities. Like they're in physical space whereas MRI is done in K-space. Um, and uh, we're kind of dancing around it a little bit, but K-space just means frequency, but it's frequency not of like the proton. So that proton has a certain frequency it's running at. At 1.5, it's about 64 megahertz. At 3T, it's a higher double, mm -hmm. 128-ish. Um, K-space is spatial frequency. Um, and you use those different, the slice encoding gradient, the phase encoding gradient, and the frequency encoded gradient to set up a case space representation of whatever is being imaged. Would you, would you compare it to maybe like CT with the Hounsfield units where um, for whatever signal it's giving back that's assigned a measurement and you use that measurement to assign a certain gray scale Unfortunately, Which, no. So CT is like the CT Hounsfield number is the comparison versus like a water baseline. It's like the attenuation effect of whatever's in that little voxel, in that little element versus whatever it would be in water. So like a Hounsfield of 100 is more attenuating than, so zero is baseline and that's water. MRI is in its own kind of, Ballpark. It's its own ballpark. Man. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's <clears throat> it's complex. It's even hard for uh, MR techs to understand. I'm. Yeah. Case spaces is uh it's definitely a beast to wrap your head around. But I I feel like once you kind of get it, man, it opens up the door for a lot of the other concepts that man that are uh, you know more useful in the day to day use of MR. And I would sure. encourage people not to get too discouraged about all these very tough concepts. Like it it took many different approaches to understanding this centralized concept. Like I had to learn it from here, from here, from all these different views, right. from different authors or different, right. you know, different YouTubes. Um, right. <laughs> and as you put them all together, you might get a better and better understanding of what's going on. And maybe we can give a shot at, at that today. Yeah.
but uh like i said it's, it's you know we 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 scan in 3d so just to kind of give you a different idea of uh what it is that we're looking at xyz mm -hmm. coordinates that's an image we could use yeah exactly and we actually use these coordinates to plot where in the magnet or the bore itself that the patient is positioned and so if they move you know literally the depth of a dime what we're scanning in slices sometimes less than that so it matters um mm -hmm. i don't know i just find <clears throat> seeing this can be helpful to paint the picture so like z is like going straight down the bore right that's right all right and then your x and y is just kind of like traditional graph paper yeah um you know axial sliced at that at that position at that position right yep well let's talk about precession let's talk mm -hmm. about relaxation you're the physicist so you kind of take us down that road is on how well, everything so, is it's best all, to be understood it's all a part of how we put the image together right it's like we're collecting data from the patient put it through this recon system to get this beautiful picture but like what data are we actually collecting right yeah uh well it's got to take a piece at a time the precession is the there's something called the Larmor's frequency which is like this um basic equation that describes for a certain magnetic field you mean it's not lamar Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> Lar, L -A -R. You're hoping to make at least one reference. M O R. <laughs> or Lavar, Lavar Burton. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so Larmor frequency is the frequency at, if at a certain magnetic field. It's mm -hmm. just a times the gyromagnetic ratio. It's just this constant for the different nuclei. So for the proton, it's about 42 megahertz right. per Tesla. Mm -hmm. And then at 1.5, that's why at 1.5 it has a certain frequency. It's because of this um, Larmor equation and that gyromagnetic ratio. Um, that is the frequency at which those protons kind of like, people talk about it as like a top being wobbly. Oh yeah, like a spinning top, yeah. Now if you transmit your RF energy to get those, we've talked about flip angles a little bit. Like to get your flip angles, you actually have to transmit an RF frequency that is right at that um, Larmor frequency right, right. there. Um, and it will cause those protons to then flip if you're resonant with them at right. that. And I, I say you have to be resonant with them, and that's important for things, helps you think about like, so there's an idea of chemical shift out there. Different chemical, the protons, we've talked about only protons in water. Right. There's protons in fat, there's protons in proteins. Right. And they each, depending on their like micro chemical and bulk environment. So the chemical environment, so a fatty acid chain has a zigzagging chain with protons lined up on it. That's the triglyceride. The, the, the glyceride is covered in protons and those protons are at a different frequency than the water ones. So that's how things like say f spectral fat saturation happen is that spectral fat RF only responds to those fat protein, that protons, frequency. that frequency. And then you knock out all those fat spins with a really strong gradient. It's called a spoiler gradient, really strong gradients. And then you do your normal imaging and now you have a fat saturated image that follows up. So that's the idea of like frequencies, precession, that's where they kind of come into play. Right, and we pretty much need to know what the what the precession is, because when you're pre-scanning, right, you're kind of, the magnet's tuning to your body frequency, right? Yeah, that's, that's correct. So it'll do things like, um, 
it'll change the frequency of what it's transmitting a little bit to tune in to get like the maximum signal. And then it knows I'm right, right on the money. Right. And it can change what's called the bandwidth. It'll change the bandwidth of the RF to be tuned to just those fat protons or, or it's not very often, but it can happen that it tunes to just the water stuff in there. Right. Or if you're not doing that fat saturated thing, you're exciting everything. It's a broader bandwidth that'll get all of those. I see. So bandwidth is like what it's actually listening to, right? It's like how wide it's listening how to. How wide it's listening. Center frequency is what you would say is what it's listening to, 64 right. megahertz. And then how sh how narrow and how tight and precise that is, is band. Nice. That's transmit bandwidth, though. Oh. So there's actually a lot of bandwidths in play. I'm <laughs> catching myself. You, normally when we're talking about bandwidth, we're talking about receive bandwidth. Right. So that's a different thing. So we're talking about transmit bandwidth at the moment. Right, nice. Dang. Right. So, so, uh, so we're knocking those, the, the procession down. And then when we're listening, it's just, it's the amount of time it takes for it to kind of recover. And that's the signal that we're getting. Mm -hmm. Um, so you, you talk about time to echo is, is kind of what that is. So you've, you've tipped it into 90 and to talk about a spin echo, a pretty basic yeah. pull sequence, you then hit with a 180. And what happens after the one nine, after the 90 is looking at just one pixel in there. Mm -hmm. and, um, you can think about it as a bunch of different dials. Um, so you have to think of a circle, how to put it. You got this dial and you got at the beginning, everything's coherent together. All of the spins that are within that pixel, all of the different hydrogens are right here. And then they kind of phase out. And, and that's because each of those protons are experiencing slightly different environments and so they're each at slightly different frequencies and they they kind of spread out and then when you hit the 180 they all like they all flip 180 literally right. and so whatever differences they had are now like equal and opposite and they refocus once they refocus um that's when you get your echo and that's the time to echo the time is from that 90 until it refocuses right right and well, like I said, we could really get into it deep or not. One thing I'm challenged with all the time is patients want to sit, want an explanation in 30 seconds. Oh, man. Why is it so loud? How do you get the pictures? If you were an MRI tech and you oh, were asked man. this 20 times a day, what would be your 30-second answer? Well, I'm not an MRI tech and I'm not asked those things for it. So, <laughs> man, uh, I think we did have a good answer for noise, which is yeah, those yeah, coils have lots of current and they all push and pull on each other. And frequently, like it's it's multiple times a second. And so that's why it's, yeah. Um, the image, you know, I'd put it as, um, you're looking at it like a slice at a time and you're sweeping with different magnetic environments that will localize, it's called raster scanning. So you have like, think of pixels, like two of 256 square, and it's like scanning through with this magnetism thing, but it's not, it's not coming out an image, it's coming out with, case space like it's, it's not an image you after you get this after you do that acquisition you have case space information right. yeah so i think that's a good transition actually because i know you guys somewhat of a presentation on case space and for the record we could do a whole episode on this and we consider that actually um but get into that because i know a lot of people i would say on average the i'm just going to make up stuff but it seems like maybe five years into an mri tech's career do they start to actually truly understand what k-space is yep. yep 
cool. So um, <clears throat> I know there'll be a lot of questions about this. I imagine we'll even do a clip of just this segment. So yeah. um, awesome. So yeah, your screen on screen. Go ahead and whenever you yeah, like. Good. All right. So what is this starburst picture? What do you? The Big Bang Theory. Yes. <laughs> no. Well, because we're doing a case based demo, it's pretty convenient to say, "Oh, it's it's case based," yeah, and you'd right. be right. Um, if and but what like what image is it capturing? It's from our visual it standpoint. Looks like a T two axial brain. Robert <gasps> is exactly right. How could you know? He must have case based vision. Yeah, uh, I, may, I may have looked at this presentation <laughs> just a little prior. bit. Uh, so the case space on the left. Almost all like real pictures that like if you took a photograph of something and ran it through what's called a Fourier transform, a two-dimensional Fourier transform, it would look like that starburst. Most basically, kind of all real pictures look a little bit like that starburst. Oh. But that is the data that the MRI is acquiring. So it's sweeping through those those phase encodes and frequency codes are going sort of pixel case space pixel by case space pixel, pixel by pixel to encode that. And the intensity of those are the amount of echo it receives. So like if it gets a big echo, it's a bright pixel. If it's not getting much echo, then it's a black pixel. And then once you do that mathematical transformation called a Fourier transform, it'll transform it into like what we call image space. So on the left, case space, on the right, image space. Um, and that's the case for like just, I mean, tons of MRI images, almost all MRI images. There's things like spectroscopy, which aren't really images, but they still involve tra FOIA transforms. Uh, Reggie, you're about. Yeah, no, I just like, so looking at this, I feel like every MRI tech wants to make it like, like this, like from one image to the other, mm -hmm. like linear, right? Like. That should be exactly how the image comes out. Like, but technically, I guess each point, those are data points, and each data point represents a point on the image, but it's not actually like one-to-one, -one, right? Right. Like, you're right, Reggie. So if you change a single pixel in the case space a lot, it will affect the entire image. Right. We'll see some good examples of that in a little bit. Like this. Ooh. So have you seen an artifact like a, in in your? I work? have. Is this an example of when case space didn't get filled? Uh, I it has a diff, several names. I know it as like white pixel artifact. I know it as corduroy artifact. Corduroy because like the pants. Um, right. Um, I call it white pixel because there's one pixel in there that is super bright, and um, I can even kind of tell you because I made this demo, I can tell you about this. But um, <laughs> like if I was encountering this, I would know it's on towards the center. So the center of this case space is lower spatial frequencies and the edge is higher spatial frequencies. And it'll start making sense as we go through this. I put that really white pixel here. And because it is fairly close to the center, it has this like slower frequency versus if I shift it, out to the right, now it's higher frequency. What what pattern do you think you'll see? With darker. Uh, so Robert says darker. I'm gonna say it's gonna be the same, but the lines are gonna be kinda. It'll be same-ish. Um, well, let's just see. 
So the lines are the same direction, right? Okay. but they're much tighter. Tighter, okay. And that's because as you went from the center being the low, low, low spatial frequencies, as you go to this middle distance, it's like a medium <clears throat> frequency. And that's uh, oftentimes when I see it, it looks more like this. And that's, yeah, that's, that's right. Um, da -da -da. And then lastly, if we move it out like one more notch way out there, it's even a little bit tighter, it's like the highest frequency of spatial frequency. And so on the left, you have this. And does that go in like the phase direction or does it matter? It could happen in either phase or frequency direction. But because it was plotted on the way it was plotted, like on that side, if we go back a slide, that's why it's it's presented that way. Like if, it, if in order for the lines to be in the, I guess. Um, left to right. Or, yeah, left to right, it would need to be on the opposite side or. Or it would be. If you wanted the lines to be horizontal, would the star need to be more superior to That's the? That's exactly right. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, Robert's got it. So we got a we got a picture of that coming up. Oh, okay, sorry, we're jumping oh, ahead. No, no problem. So Robert saw the first slide, but he hasn't seen the rest of them. <laughs> For the record. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this keyboard's dead again. Oh, sorry. Yeah. It likes to sleep so it can conserve battery. Uh, Me too. You hit it. <laughs> should work now. Yeah, it should work. Oh, it's, it's searching. There we go. Or we might just have Dave start. Yeah, Dave, go for it. And go to the next one. And this is like, I've, I've talked about spatial frequencies. Like what are they physically on the lower left? It's like that the case space value, its position is about 0.5 per centimeter or to put it in like a more like intelligible way of talking about it, it's one cycle for every two centimeters that is say from like black line to black line it's about two centimeters on that picture okay in the middle picture it's about there's three black lines for every centimeter or say one black line to black line that distance is about one third of a centimeter and the last one on the far right is there's four cycles for every centimeter. And what like uh, parameter would you adjust? To make that happen? Yeah. That is your idea of spatial resolution. So as you increase the matrix size, you, you normally are thinking about it, I'm adding more image pixels. I'm adding more image pixels, but in the acquisition side, you're actually adding more case space encoding positions. And as you're getting a bigger and bigger case space, you're capturing higher and higher spatial frequencies. Nice. Yep. Next slide. So this is the vertical lines. Where right. do you think the, where did I put the white pixel? So would it matter if it's up top or the bottom, or would it be equal if you're that equally? That is a great question. So what was your, do you have an answer for that? It's top or bottom. I, I do have an answer, I think. Uh, so top or bottom, I want to say light or dark, but no, that wouldn't make any sense. So uh, no, I don't look at the case space part. If you reflect it over itself. It's symmetrical. It's symmetric. It actually doesn't matter where you okay. put it. Uh, Can you toggle up one more slide, David? So it's on, I put it on the bottom, but I could have put it on the top part and would done the same exact thing, um, and it would cause that effect. And that's actually important for. There's half Fourier 
acquisition. So in pull sequence that you can run, some is like partial foyer is mm -hmm. like one thing. That means you're catching at least half of case space and then say 75% more. And that part you're not acquiring, it's actually just reflecting whatever is up top. Oh. That's what the that's one idea. That's one thing you learn from from case space. Right. Is it's just folding over whatever was there. So I put it at a middle distance and then it's there. Now now where is the star, by the way? Well, bleaked one of the like either like like uh what would it be like? Is it upper left? Around or? yeah, it'd be upper left or lower right. Or uh well actually no, it would be an offset of approximately four centimeters to your left. <laughs> <laughs> hold on, hold on. I, I, this is fun for me. This might be a while. <laughs> well, it's obviously in one of the corners. Oh. That's true. Which corner? Uh, upper left, upper right. I'll say lower up. left, lower right. And remember, it, it's reflected. So so yeah, so it's, it's either going like... to be left or right. Doesn't matter. Uh, I I would say that like because it's so symmetrical, left to right and north and south, that it's uh, you could get the same artifact. From four different spots. Two different spots. So let's show the star. I guess it would be diagonal the opposite. So it is lower right is where I put it, but upper left would be exactly the same. Now, um, the lines show up in, in in math speak, you would say normal to that direction. So how to say, so for, you look at the origin, you look at the center of K-space, and you point a line to where that star is, that line would go lower right. And those image space lines, the dark spot splotches, um, the corduroy pattern is like 90 degrees opposite that. That's what I mean by normal. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. My mouse is so working. So if you draw a line off of the original, oh, so here's the line in, in K space. And then that line is like 90 degrees versus whatever's going on in, in the uh, image space. I got it. I got imagery in my head now. So okay. as it goes further from the origin, that means higher and higher frequencies. And then the direction is determined by, by this line. And again, this is a real artifact you can encounter once in a while. Um, all right, next one. So now we've got a super blurry brain. What is going on with that brain? It has to be a low res. It's very low res. Yeah. We actually kind of answered it a little bit earlier. Like, how do you get higher resolution? Oh, you, right. you image out matrix. further. Yeah, bigger, bigger matrix. Um, David, show this. So now what I did is I threw away all the case space information On the that object? was outside of, yeah, so the rest of the starburst is gone. All you get is the center part. And this is an illustration of like the center of K-space is right. your low frequencies. It also determines the contrast in the image. So, I mean, you can't really, you can tell it's a brain. You can kind of, if you force someone, they might say it's T2 because right. it's got that bright fluid. And so that information, the general shape of it and the contrast is determined by the center of K-space. And that's important for your, your work in the sense that like, um, if those if things are going wrong with the center of K space, which is like where your effective echo time is, mm -hmm. that's it's, it's that's the data you're losing is right. near the effective echo time. All right. So next one, and this is just the edges. So what do you think? What K space is going on here? 
No, the well, center's missing, probably. Exactly. Yeah, it's a donut. So it's the opposite. Let's, let's look at it. It's the opposite. So I threw out the center. Now we lost the contrast information. We lost the sort of general look, but you do see the edges. And um, yeah, that's that's what you get. Anyone who could do that on an etch and sketch, hey, I got five hundred dollars for you. Right and <laughs> it, it would actually, by the way, those edges would be clearer and sharper if. If I made a true donut, like a circle cutout, yeah, yeah, um, because it's square, it that's why it's actually a little like shimmery and shaky on those brain edges. But I, I got lazy; I didn't want to draw a circle. <laughs> no, lazy this is cool. Yeah. <laughs> <It's not laughs> all right. And another important piece of all this is like, where does the information come from? So when you get an echo, this is trying to tell you that on the left as it's doing all those frequency and phase encodes, it's sweeping out and trying to listen to all those different case-based pixels. As it's sweeping out, 99% of that area represents 77% of the total signal for this particular patient. It's different for different images. Right. But in this one instance, um, it happened to be... 77% of it. Of, is everything outside of that, and the center has almost 25%, like a quarter of everything right. is, is in that 1% center. Is that why it's so much easier to do things like uh, parallel imaging and, um, you know, things of that sort? Because you you can get a lot of your data just from the center and you're just kind of... That's right. So yeah. there's an algorithm for parallel imaging called GRAPA, and it fully samples the center of it. Now, because of the way you... Whenever you do a frequency encode, you can grab the entire line. Right. And so... Uh, I forgot my, my mouse is working. This is great. Hey. So if you do a frequency encode, you're sweeping through, um, in this case, it would be vertical. Um, why do you think the up down in this case space, why do you think that's frequency encode? Isn't that square? Uh, it's close. That's, well, that's actually correct. So there's more, there's more case space pixels in this vertical direction than the XY. So it goes to like oh, nice. not quite 400. And it goes to whatever 450 right. here, and because a frequency code is very fast, you get this entire line quote for free. Versus doing these phase encodes going left right, it takes time to get to a different TR to a different TR. So if you don't have parallel imaging going on, it's only grabbing one line per echo. So if you had a true spin, like an old-fashioned spin echo, you're grabbing one phase encode per spin echo. Right. If you're doing fast spin echo or turbo spin echo, it's whatever your echo train is. So like echo train of eight, you're getting eight lines. Right. So it pretty much directly affects your scan time for sure, right? It does. Yeah. Yeah. So as you get a bigger ma matrix, you got to encode more. Yeah. And then last, like the last sort of step of this is we're playing around the idea of parallel imaging. Parallel imaging, if you had a turbo spin echo, echo train of eight, and then a grappa factor of two, acceleration of two, you're now grabbing sort of 16, for every TR, you're grabbing like 16 lines of this stuff um, per, per TR. And in Grappa, it starts with fully sampling the center. That's because when the engineers that made that stuff, they knew like, well, the center is super important. You don't want to miss anything. Right. You get all your good stuff there. Right. And then it sort of cheats on the edges and only is like sparsely right. samples it. And then mathematically, they have algorithms that fill it back in. And so how you go faster in MRI in general is just to grab less case space. 
Right. And and like if you go from next of two to one, if you do one next is to fill out that entire case space. If you went from two to one, you only did it once versus twice. Mm. So that's how you save time there. Or so like filling out case space is how you can generally talk about speeding up. Right. Well, and I know too, like if you when you turn on case space, you need a certain amount of signal too, or, you, you know, you get this horrible artifact and, uh, it's, but it, most of your signals in the center, right? Your signal contents right in the center. So if we're grabbing that automatically, then why are we still kind of getting that? Is that a, like some kind of geometric issue or something? Well, so you still need the edges cause that defines the, the lines, edges, right? Yeah. yeah. The edge of case space defines its edges in the image and the center of case space determines the image just, contrast just, and, and most of like the SNR, the signal. The signal, right? Okay. And I know we touched on unwrapping, right? So whenever you're kind of unwrapping an image, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're pretty much, it's, so say like on your cursor, we're at 150 at 150 or something. Uh, when you unwrap it, is it just you're unwrapping to negative 150, negative 150 type of thing? Like is that the same as 150 and 150? Uh, I'm... I, I guess. So I could have, could have, should have done this plot as say this goes to 400 over here. Right. From 200 to 400 is like the same and reflected as uh. zero to 200 this way. And then, you know, half of this is symmetric with the other half. Um, there's a fancy math word for it called Hermitian symmetry. Ah. Uh. There's a, yeah. Oh, yeah. How long does the computer shoot uh, I, I feel like it, let's say three years. I mean, that's like the short answer. Okay. So, um, oh, that's reassuring for me, by the way. Well, yeah. Um, okay. Like a few weeks. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know right? <laughs> three, like it, it, but it's always at different levels, right? So, right. um, and it depends on like how much of a nerd fight you're into, like right. like how much detail do you care about in this conversation? I feel like every time <laughs> I feel like I kind of understand it, I'm like, oh, uh, that's what I mean. Yeah, right? and, like, and like I, I'm feeling a little more sharp on it because I just went through like making this demo versus like if you asked me a week ago, then I'm like, well, is it? Yeah, anyway. Yeah, right. Well, and I know there's all these different algorithms that come out to kind of help with the filling of case space to minimize scan time and those sort of things. And I know that there's certain ways to fill case space that minimize motion, like right. doing it no, like this radially, actually right? helps with that too. Um, talking so going fast just means doing less case space acquisitions, right? And summarizing again what those are, that means longer echo trains. So every echo train or every echo from that train is aligned in case space. The other one is partial foyer, where that's where you're you're not acquiring, you only acquire half of case space and you fold it over, or you're kept folding, you're acquiring 75% of it and you're mathematically imagining that you right. acquired the rest of that. That's another way. And then there's parallel um, parallel imaging, which is what we sort of talked about where it grabs the center and then it only partially gets the other parts and has algorithms that fill yes. those in. That's, those are the ways to, to go fast. Yeah. Does SMS play a part at all? It does. So that's a different kind of acceleration where we're talking about Grafa, which is in the slice. SMS it stands for simultaneous multi-slice. And that is where you are, you're like bouncing between two slices. So you have... Think of a head, foot, and you're 
you're encoding a slice here and you're encoding a slice here. Instead of missing, like skipping lines in case space in just one slice, you have like kind of like is it, now now I'm like, am I right about this? I'm not sure. But There's your a degree of offset or some sort of like, they they're like complementary, right? That you're getting lines from this one and this one, and they're alias to one another, and that the um, I'm not like really prepared to talk all about the detail of this, but they're alias to one another and that the coils that are around it. So say it's in a knee coil or it's a, a multi-channel coil. Yeah. Um, the local sensitivity of that coil, it'll see only a bit of depth of like part of the anatomy here. And it'll know that like, even though the image is, I only got part of K space, it knows where it was spatially and it can like use that in the, now we're talking about the math algorithms that right. like, unfold and, and do the, all this um, parallel imaging. It uses those spatial sensitivities to, to line up all that data to where it makes a good image. Um, if you, let's say if you did Grappa without the math afterwards, and that's again, fill out middle of K space, but then only had like strips of the edges. If you did Grappa without, um, the math part, you would have an aliased image, which is where, imagine that brain, you'd have like the brain in the center and you'd have like half brain here and half a brain here. You'd have like the anterior <laughs> brain here and the posterior brain here. Right. You have this folded up image. It gets unwrapped by those coils sensitivities because when it does that acquisition, it knows coil one was like in this part of the head, coil two is in this part of the head, coil three is in this point of the head. Right. It uses that position information in the math that unwraps it all. Mm. Right. Well, when you look at K-Space, and this is kind of how I kind of imagine it. So when I'm looking at K-Space as that diagram that you showed in the very beginning, it's very bright center, a lot of dark space around it. It's like a puzzle, right? So you're, you, you, you take that piece of the puzzle and you bring it over and that puzzle represents this coordinates for the image, right? And you're putting that, so you're actually taking pieces of K-Space and you're just kind of plotting your image according to the puzzle piece so that you have, right? That's the wild thing about K-Space right. is one pixel in K-Space affects every, every image. pixel image space. Right. It's actually vice versa too. One pixel change in image space will affect every pixel in image space. That's right. the nice thing. That's why I used white pixel noise to demonstrate it is right. you can change that one pixel and see it. How in, it really changes. In everywhere. I think that's the hardest now, part to wrap your head if you around. put something like cancerous tumor, like a lesion in that brain, it makes every pixel in K-space change a little bit that when you do that mathematical Fourier transform, it kind of like layers all those spatial frequencies together to shape out a tumor. It's kind of wild. Uh, right. Also things, now I'm, since it just popped in my head, things like, do you, have you seen, do you know what Gibbs ringing is or like? Oh yeah, the Gibbs artifact. Gibbs yeah. artifact. So you have a really sharp edge you have a bright spot and a dark spot and you see those like little wobbles along it. Yeah. It's similar to like a uh, truncation, I guess. Or that's also, that's the same. They kind of look the same. Same name. Oh, same name. Okay. The same thing. Um, that's one thing about MR. There's a million names. There's a million names, names for, <laughs> for the same, same thing. stuff, right? Artifact. <laughs> yeah. Gibbs artifact. Yep. Yeah. And those wobbles, um, if you had a bigger, if you had more case space acquisitions, it would get rid of some of those wobbles. Do you see a good example there? Uh, let's look. Da, 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 da. 
boy, not yet. Uh, there's or, a wrap. Go to the center. Like trunc truncation. Yeah, that one. Click that one for just a sec. That's the wrap. That's what happens if you do grappa, but not the math that happens afterwards. And part of the math, again, is those coils, the system knows where they physically were. Right. So it, it overlapped so much that it didn't finish unwrapping it pretty much, or the unwrapping is still in the image? Um, it, gosh, let's see. I'm sorry, I might be... Uh, <laughs> well, it goes back to, like, you go back to your case base, every pixel affects everything else, and if you have those, like, gaps in it, it, it leads to what's called aliasing, that uh, wrapped, wrapped and aliasing, it was kind of the same thing. Um, and so you need the full sampling to get the good image. Um, and the magic math behind parallel imaging is what unwraps it. Or look at the, uh, go to the left, there's a circle with those wobbles. That's an example. And it's not the best example because it's not like a head or something, but the edges easy to see from sure. the circle are being wobble, wobble, wobble. And that's if that's from not having enough case space samples to perfectly realize that edge. If you did more uh, and more, it gets a better and better approximation of what's going on there. I see. Well, see, this is when I know I'm a nerd because I actually still find this stuff super interesting. Yeah, it is. Um, you can go back to the slides, I think. there's. How does artifact, I guess, play a role in... Like, and how does it disturb case space to the to the point to where we get that, that distortion effect. artifact? Yeah, it's just no data there. Well, um, like what artifact? I mean, like, gotta, oh, I guess that's true. Like geometric distortion, I guess. Sure. So geometric distortion is how to say. Um, we can talk about artifacts as a general thing. Is is almost any time the system thinks the magnetic environment is a certain thing and then it it's not, that it's something else. Oh, like that's right. that's one way of thinking about an artifact. And in this case, right. in distortion is um, the gradients. If you have the low side and the high side of the magnetic field, these are slightly higher frequency. These are slightly lower frequency and this like the center of the image that you're imaging. Mm -hmm. In reality, the magnetic field could be either higher and lower than the system assumes. And so when it's sweeping out these, um, again, what the system is doing is it's sweeping out K-space. Right. And it will put the signal from one spot into a different spot because it didn't know. It assumed that the magnetic field was like 64 megahertz plus a couple hundred hertz, but it was actually 64 megahertz plus like 400 hertz, like, you know, something, right. something different. Right. And whenever that happens, it will put that signal somewhere else. And that's what happens with distortion is as you go to the edge of the field, what's going on as you go to like more and more peripheral, um, you know, you got center, isocenter, it right. really knows what the magnetic field is at isocenter. But as you go outside, it gets less and less sure right. of what it is. Uh, um, and and so there's, the, the vendors know this and they do a bunch of, they call them first order shims, second order shims. I right. mean, like there's, there's a bunch of technology in trying to correct that, but eventually it breaks down. Right. The further you get away from ISO Center, right? Mm -hmm. Nice. All that very interesting stuff, I guess. Um, do you think there's anything that we haven't covered yet? It might be a few more slides. I'm not sure. <laughs>
Oh yeah. Well, we kind of talked about that. Tur- edge determines edges. Nope, there's not. I have a cactus flower for you. Hey, 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 Everyone hey, loves oh, a good. This, you know, and is, there is a case base to this flower. There right? is. I should have done. That would be good. <laughs> and it, it, it's just a boring starburst. Like whatever it is, oh, okay, yeah. whatever it is, it's just going to be a boring. It's starburst. It's going to be the same. Right? Same be same thing. <laughs> That's funny. Um, well, I think we'll pretty much wrap it up. Uh, one question that we always ask guests, and usually I prepare them for, it, and I didn't prepare you. So dun 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 dun. <laughs> what would you say in your career, medical career, um, has been the most satisfying or fulfilling moment? Mm. Mm. figure well so it's my phd the science stuff uh figuring out the thing that allowed me like i'm gonna graduate now <laughs> that oh, was right. there was um i was doing thermal modeling in the brain of the so it's laser ablation you, you stick a laser in the brain and you burn away a tumor and I was trying to do predictive modeling of that to help like think of it as like treatment planning that if you knew where the heat was going to go, you could maybe do better treatment yeah. delivery. Um, I thought that I had to do a bunch of phantom experiments and a bunch of like maybe animal experiments. But then a neurosurgeon from a different institution through the company we were working with, the, the laser ablation equipment vendor, they linked us up with this neurosurgeon, had data from patients that I was able to like learn – it wasn't AI, but it's the same idea of like you learn from these examples right. that were already done in people to like predict my, make my model work way better. And so I didn't have to do a bunch of other stuff and, and get to like using human data. And that was, that was like the, the switch flipping. I was like, I'm, I'm going to solve this. I'm nice. going to figure it out. Nice. I figure it must have been a problem solving situation of some sort. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. That's like right. a good problem solver. Um, I don't know, Reggie. Anything else? Yeah. I mean, any any advice or any resources for anyone who's still trying to figure out case space? Anything you think Links about? in the description. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know, right? <laughs> You've done this before. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and speaking. But, uh, of, general encouragement though is take a different, lots of different views. All right. And some that are really simple, some that are really complex, and and read them again and again, and eventually. Picture of paint itself. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> nice. Interested in it is probably half the battle, though, you know, and a lot of people are interested. But, yeah, just take the time um, and seek out that information, I guess, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just not a one-to-one ratio, which is it was the hardest thing. Cause I still want to say this pixel goes here, this goes there, right. but it's not like it's that. It's not like so that. So just and, get you started uh, on the right foot. Don't think about <laughs> it. Thank you. We've been meaning to do an episode like this for a while. We've actually had some, tons of people, so stop bothering us. We did an episode, MRI <laughs> Basic Physics. Um, so uh, thank you for joining us, Dr. Mm-hmm. Fahrenholz. We really appreciate your time thank here. You. We also really appreciate being able to work with you and others like you. Yes. Um, we learn a lot yeah, from you guys. Yeah. We do, yeah. Um, you're supposed to say the most fulfilling was meeting, working with me. <laughs> it's like okay. Robert Jansen. <laughs> uh, but truly, though, thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, Reggie, you want to say anything before we say goodbye to the audience? Um, no, yeah, hold on tight. I mean, MR physics is a beast, but I mean, you can get through it. So just hang in there. And like you said, just, you know, find as many resources as you can until you understand the concept, really. And if all else fails, get yourself a physicist as a friend. So. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so thank you, everybody. Appreciate it. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for watching us. Thank you for going to work and telling all your friends about us. All right. Um, I guess that's us saying goodbye now, right? On three podcasts. Okay. We are out. Play the music. Good luck.